I decided, decided to face reality. That day, someone else, spiritually, God, whatever you believe in, something else told me I didn't want to die and I need help. For some reason that day, I decided to ask for it and was willing to receive it. And that's where the gift of desperation, yeah. being in a state of reasonableness really comes into play. Green lights and blue skies are on their way. Yeah, they're on their way. Hi, welcome back to Crosstalk, the number one recovery podcast where people tell us about how they recovered, whether it's drugs and alcohol or different addictions like gambling, sex, all the isms that we call them. And today I have an amazing guest. His name is Ryan. I do know his story, but I can't wait for him to share it with you all. And I hope that you all get something out of it and just see how powerful really recovery can be. You help so many people, and I'm so happy you're here with us. So, please. Thank you for having me. And uh, yes, it's been uh, it's been awesome uh, getting to know you over the last three years. Uh, December seventeenth, I'll have uh, three years of sobriety. Congratulations. And um, uh, it's been been uh, unlike all the other times that I have been sober. Over the last uh, twenty two years, I've been sober, uh, cumulative of sixteen years. Uh, mm. The longest stretch has been six years. And uh, over those six years, life was really good. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it was a little more than just uh, substance use. It was uh, emotional and, uh, and, and I was the other way of saying it. Many of us suffer from a grave emotional and mental disorder, but mm -hmm. we do recover if we have the capacity to be honest. A few of us might know that. Yep. I focus a lot on that. Yeah. Um, and uh, also the uh, treatment center that, uh, that we got to go to. Mm -hmm. um, focused a lot on the behavioral aspect of things. Yeah, I think that the behavioral aspect is actually like how it starts, really. Mm -hmm. Even though I do believe it, it's genetic, I do think that our behaviors are how it starts, and then we start to use alcohol, drugs, or whatever other addiction you may have, you know, to cope with those behaviors and cope with the consequences and all that stuff absolutely and uh that's that's been kind of uh kind of my journey is trying to dabble or sorry decipher the difference between is it behavioral is it emotional or is it substance mm. and when it's a culmination of a multitude of different things and uh in the program that i work now you know we focus a lot on the spiritual aspect of things mm. And, um, you know, but first I had to be conceding to the innermost self or being honest with ourselves is, is, is everything. And um, it's been very tough to navigate that with um, uh, the different types of, of therapy that I've been through, the different types of programs that I've been through. I never wanted to admit what was truly going on because mm. I thought it would be condemning of the nature and I, I thought it would be unacceptable. And, um, you know, over the years, you know, um, the, we, we grew up in households where they say just perform or be this way. Mm. And, um, and a lot of us just accept that. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm oppositional. I don't know if it's because my uh, inability to, to, uh, to feel emotions uh, in, in a congruent way or if it's just a spiritual of nature or a combination of all these things. And so I work on all those things. As a young kid, I was always very high energy very high energy. I grew up in a, in, in a really nice family. Grew up in a village. 
There was no street, uh, no sidewalks, no street lights. Wow. Um, it was it was awesome. It's like the opposite of where I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> so and um, you know my family did uh, my mom and dad they did a really good job of of keeping the household together. Um, we've had a lot of unfortunate events, and um, I know these play a big role in who I became. And um, uh, the first uh, primary event that happened was my mom uh, had a brain tumor. And I was at the, there was at the, I was uh, five years old. I believe my mom was 36. Mm. And um, so navigating that at a young age, um, I learned very early on to become a caretaker and set aside, set aside things that I need or not knowing how to communicate them. Mm. Um, and not anyone's fault, not the, not the brain tumor's fault. It's just the way that I learned to get what I want, when I want, and how I want it. And as a kid, that's perfectly fine. Um, oh, what do you mean? As an adult, I can't get what I want when I want it? <laughs> exactly. And as we grow up, I still wanted to be the kid. And that's, that's the difficult part is how often do we act like children? Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the main things I focus on now is being more childlike and less childish. And, um, and, and you, you could go to any playground in, across the country, and, it, and it's quite phenomenal. You watch a couple of five-year-olds get together, and one's just covered in, like, snot and stains and runs up to another one that's got suspenders and a bow tie on. And he's like, hey, man, you want to climb the, the, the monkey bars? And they don't pass judgment. Right. He's just like, yeah, dude, this sounds fun. Yeah. How freeing is that? I love that. I actually have chills from when you said that. I get, I apparently get chills easily, so I don't know. But I, I do. I see that in kids, and I love that. And I believe part of the program, part of the community that we have down here, uh, that I've that I've learned is we work a lot on that, is accepting each other for who they are. Mm. Not that my family didn't try to do that. We just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, we also grew up in a family that was old school. We love happy, and we're comfortable with anger. When things get out of control, use the anger to get everything back into control. Mm-hmm. Um, it played a big role in how I learned how to communicate and once again get what I want when I want and how I want it. Um, but I never learned emotions. I never learned them. Not until I was about 37 years old. And uh, I came to, a, uh, came to a place down here and I saw this thing called an emotions wheel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is this? So, <laughs> Take a look at this thing, and I'm like, hey, these are all foreign. I don't know what any of these are. Oh, happy? I got that anger? Got this. Yeah. I can relate a lot to that. Heck yeah. And I still have an emotions, uh, feelings wheel, or whatever it's called, in my office at work, you know? awesome. Yeah, I have a pillow with the wheel, and I make everyone choose a feeling of the day. And... The emotion, the emotion. Yeah, because I used to say, I feel fine, and they'd be like, that's not a feeling. I'm like, I, I don't understand what you mean. I just say, okay, fucked up, insecure, neurotic, emotional, got it, see you later. And uh, it's like, they're like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, sorry, man, I'm just being very passive-aggressive. You're right, exactly. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of, I'll stop speaking in emotions. The jargon. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Personality types and everything else that we learn, you know? Yeah, of course. And um, it, it, that's, that, that's uh, trying to relearn that at an adult age is very, very difficult. Um, it takes a lot of willingness, takes a lot of work, takes a lot of sacrifice, not only mm-hmm. for self, but also loved ones. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, I mean, you know, you take a childhood as, as, as we grew up and, and, and as I grew up, and I have a brother and a sister, both older. 
and we all been through the same experience and they got to cope with their reality a little bit differently than I got to. Um, we all have issues. Every last human being that I've ever met on this God, God's given earth, we all have issues. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they get to be too big and we can't avoid them anymore. Yeah. And luckily we have places now to go. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, a lot of unfortunate circumstances that went on through my life to develop basically who I am. Um, mom started off, I was five years old, heart attack, or sorry, the brain tumor. Uh, we roll into um, different different ailments with my grandfather, who I was really close to, my Jaja. Mm -hmm. And um, he ended up having a brain aneurysm, and uh, he passed away. That was, that was really tough for me, really tough for me, because he was the last real safe place I felt. Mm -hmm. And uh, until I was older and an older adult, and um, and so um, going into that, it just feeling one one layer of loss after another. And for me, I didn't deal with any difficult circumstances very well. Once again, I said I'm not good at emotions, or mm -hmm. no, I'm still not that great at emotions. And Fair. So I didn't know how to express it. So just like we do in, in most communities, you see everyone else chin up, chest out, and you do, you do so. However, there's something inside me that's just still hurting, still hurting. And, it, and uh, I could perform and be a character or be a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Be an actor. I could, I could play the role for, long, for a very long time. But eventually I got to find some relief from it because something else mounts on top of it. And so for me, I, I started using drugs and alcohol in order to find that. Yeah. And like they speak of, you know, it's very relieving. It's, it's, um, it's exactly what we've been looking for this whole time. Yeah. And it's easy. Um, becoming dependent on it was, was the, the nail in the coffin, if you want to call it. And um, at first I was able to turn it on and off. But it, 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 it quickly went into becoming a major problem. So when, just, just so we have an idea, when did you, what age did you start? What was your first drink or first drug and kind of... So I don't, I don't really recall the first of anything. Um, okay. It was around the 12 to 14 age that, that um, things started to change psychologically, behaviorally. In the aspect of using different ways of, and different outlets and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. In other words, trying to navigate becoming an adult. Right. Um, I navigated towards the ones that were, you know, in bars, parties, you know, racing cars, mm -hmm. dirt bikes and four wheelers. You know, that was that was what I found. You know, all the crazy, all the no fear stuff, all the you know, finding more chaos within it all. Yeah. Um, anything to keep me away from me. And in, I, I didn't know that then, but I know that now, that I've been running. It's like, feet don't fail me now. Let's right. just keep running. Oh, my God, I never heard that like that. I'd like that. Right. Because that's how I was. That's very relatable. Yeah. Very relatable. I wish I could say I came up with that, heard it in a song. Okay. And um, anyway, um, so, yeah, as I'm navigating relief for myself, um, I get. I also get lost in myself, and instead of looking towards the community, now I'm looking for the answers in my own head, and that's where the real insanity began. 
Um, and a lot of that happened after my uh, first in, in infraction with the, with the law. It was uh, it was a DUI at the age of 17 years old. Oh wow! So um, and it was a split second choice. I was having you know behavioral and psychological, let's say, uh, inabilities to cope with reality mm -hmm. problems. Mm -hmm. um, and a split second decision of pull over and take the heat or try to pretend like this never happened. Like we all live in this little fantasy world. Like we don't like to be the bad guy. Right. Embarrassment, insecurity, things of like that. So instead of pulling over, I hit the gas pedal. And um, that was that was uh, that was a high speed pursuit. Road spikes. They get me. They pull me over. They send me to jail. Um, so you evaded the police essentially. Yeah, successfully evaded them for a while, and eventually got caught. And. Um, and unfortunately, I, I couldn't, what's the word I'm looking for here? I couldn't face the personal guilt and shame to the situation. Um, and I didn't want that to be part of the family, so I did my best to pretend it didn't really happen. Mm. Um, I did what you know, the attorney said to do, I did what the judge said to do, I did all the superficial compliance. Right. To get um, out of trouble. To get out of trouble. And so situationally, that's where I began my journey of trying to get out of trouble all the time. Did you successfully get out of trouble that time? Were there any consequences? I lost my license. Um, it was at 17? At 17. When you just got it? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, yeah, it didn't really register in my head. I mean, it wouldn't have for me either. Yeah, no, I'm straight in the victim role. I can't believe, I can't believe, you know, this isn't right. fair, this isn't fair. Everyone else does this. Everyone else is doing the same thing, you know, and so on and so forth. That's and, the thing. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm like, how am I the bad guy? I, mean, I, I know how good of a guy I also can be. But I also know in my heart I don't really believe that. And that's that's where, like, Diving into the to the other escape uh, mode is is you know when I do drink, it's the real Jekyll Hyde thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm the real good guy. Sometimes I'm the real bad guy. And now I'm sitting here trying to figure out if I'm even a good guy. And um, I've navigated that a few times in in the past three years, which is uh, uh, I'll jump back and forth here. But this one's really powerful for me is uh, asking my my son who's nine. I was like, do you believe I'm a good guy? And it was um, very prompt, very like scripted. He says, yes, you know, but not looking in my eyes. It's down in a way. Yeah. And I asked my nephew, do you think I'm a good guy? And he's like, yeah, Uncle Ray Ray, of course you are. And he's looking, he's dead in the eyes. He believes it. Yeah. So an hour or so goes by, I asked my son the same thing. I'm like, do you think I'm a good guy? And he looks down and to the right, yeah. And he doesn't say it with as much enthusiasm. It's still scripted. Yeah. Just like we all do. Mm -hmm. We have this script, this dialogue. And uh, so a day goes by and I ask him the same thing. I'm like, do you believe I'm a good guy? He looks at me dead in the eyes and says, I don't know. Well, that's good. At least there's some honesty there. It was, the, it was opening a, a, a level of honesty that he could talk to me about anything. Yeah. He doesn't have to make me happy. Well, I want you to really tell, you know, your story so people can understand that you, because I've seen you as a great, amazing, present father, and your son is 
one of the coolest little kids I've ever met. And I didn't even get to spend that much time with him, but I would. I would like hang out and have a full on like two hour conversation with him if I could. But, um, you know, I think that telling people really how you got there where you're asking your son if you're a good guy, mm. you know, and why that's important for you today and why it's important for you to have that honest relationship with him really can help other people, I think, get there too. And that was, uh, getting to that place, the importance of that for me was um, so that he knew he could talk to me about anything. Yeah. It wasn't looking for the... Um, uh, any validation whatsoever that I was a good and or bad guy. Um, it was it was merely just opening up a uh, a platform for mm. him to be able to communicate with me on any level of, of of fear. Right. To be right and or wrong, but more more importantly, to be open and honest. And so, um, and navigating that has been has been uh, something that was very. Hmm. Uh, more difficult growing up, looking for honesty. My family's always been honest, but transparent, the depth of the transparent um, uh, or, or the, the subconscious level of, of communication mm. wasn't always there. Yeah. Uh, so a couple golden rules that I have uh, stem from growing up in a family where you, you, you pretend everything's okay because there's so many unfortunate circumstances, health issues that were going on. Uh, dad strokes, grandfather passing away, mom brain tumor, mom heart attack, mom cancer, dad cancer, mom cancer, dad cancer, mom dies of cancer, or dad dies of cancer, mom dies of cancer. Wow, it's that's, been, he that's very heavy. It's been an ongoing thing for the last 35 years. I'm sorry. And so when they, uh, as, as we navigate the different problems that I'm having, I'm taking away from the family, yeah. and that's why I work with my son um, a lot on being able to communicate and being able to have a voice in the family. Because a lot of times when families go through all the hardship, we feel like we don't have a voice. We feel like we don't aren't able to communicate. I felt like I wasn't allowed to have a bad day when others are having such a bad day with health ailments and so on. I totally understand that. It's like, how can you complain when other people are dealing with that? Yes, and that, that helped me create a really cool, um, uh, what's a delusional mind, I guess. Mm. So when I, when I, uh, when I, let me take a step back. So creating these delusional aspects of my mind also uh, made it very difficult because now I'm trying to navigate sobriety and be delusional at the same time. But in order to be delusional, you have to be dishonest or deceitful in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So it's like, you know, they speak of in our program, you know, you got to be rigorously honest, you know. Yep. And so I've always been willing to get a certain amount of honesty, but there's a certain depth and the loyalty to, you know, deceiving, uh, you know, being a certain way with certain individuals, I wasn't willing to break that. Mm. And I wasn't willing, I would, I would be more willing to compromise my own well-being and my own, um, my own word in order to protect others. Right. And not that I'm sitting here trying to throw anyone under the bus, but I will, I will hold to my word, but not bring another person into my into my conversation. If I have nothing good to say, don't say it at all sort of way. Yeah, I, I follow that too. 
So, but um, navigating honesty was very difficult for me because I didn't know or understand emotions. So at this point, are you, um, you know, are you somewhere recovering or, or where, where are we now? So if we go back to when my grandfather passed away, that's uh, going to be about 13 years old. Okay. Uh, 13 years old, I, I end up with a little bit of legal trouble, uh, a domestic dispute, a verbal domestic violence is what they called it. Never heard of it. And that was, that was what reared its ugly head, saying that Ryan's unmanageable. And uh, so I'd try to superficially comply. 17, uh, DUI, superficially comply uh, over, the, over the course of the last... Um, over the last 22 years, it's, it's, I've had several more DUIs mm. and one after another, superficially comply. I've already learned the pattern. I've already learned. And what other consequences? Sorry. Uh, no, you're perfectly fine. Uh, multitude, uh, multiple times visits to, to different jails or institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, at the age of 19, I went to my first treatment center. Okay. Um, wonderful place. Uh, 28 day program, IOP program afterwards. Stay sober for a year. 23, I go back there. This time I stay sober for six years. Wow, that's pretty good. Um, learn so much navigating all these things. But there's always, there, there's always more. And, and, and as we know, if we're not constantly working on it, uh, the, the family grew up and work on it. And then, okay, set yourself aside and take care of everybody else. Yeah. And I just want to let people know that, you know, just because... People mess up and, and relapse and, and everything. It doesn't mean you can't come back to the program, and it doesn't mean Absolutely. that um, it's not the biggest mistake. You know, it's not black or white like that. We can live in a gray zone where we make a mistake and we come right back and fix it and ask people for help. You know, I think it's really important because people think, oh, well, it didn't work, so uh, why would I try it again? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, okay, you. We mess up, we're human beings, but it's about jumping back in into the work and doing what you can. Mm -hmm. And So when, I'm glad you talk about that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, trying, trying and trying again has been, been uh, I guess perseverance is gonna be, gonna be the highlight of what this is all about for me mm. and for my family. Yeah. Um, and you know that's that's one of the hardest things that that all of us have to do is it's not just a individual thing going on it's the whole family is affected um whether they avoid whether they learn new defense mechanisms whether we learn new ones so on and so forth the psychosocial dynamic of a family is, is the most complicated one right. to navigate right and we're all searching for that perfection that e equals mc square that formula to make this just beautiful <laughs> Yeah. I don't think there's an exact formula. There isn't. There isn't. No. I haven't found one yet. Just honesty. So, so tell me, you're now six years sober, and what happens? What changes? Why? Why, um, why do you go back? I was faced with difficult things in life, um, strong emotional things, and I. Uh, I didn't know how to communicate them. Um, I didn't believe in psychological or professional help. Uh, at this point in time, I stopped believing in the program being able to help. Mm -hmm. And so I became more and more, um, things, 
different things, old patterns, old belief systems start creeping back in. Um, I believe in alcohol being the solution, so I'm going to find a way to talk to my wife at the time that, that it's okay to do that. Um, work, being a good worker is going to be my higher power. Uh, I'm going to talk my way into that being the only thing I need to do. Um, shinier boats, shinier cars, bigger houses, all these things are now becoming my higher powers. So you don't have any financial consequences or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, but I, I, I've also just work harder. So you're high functioning. Very. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll destroy things and then rebuild it. That so. is, I'm the exact same way. How many times have I destroyed things, burnt the bridge, watched it burn, walk away, and rebuilt everything from scratch? And one of the coolest things is, is did I actually do that on purpose? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. And that's the part, that's the part of the conscious, subconscious part of my mind that I really, like, yeah. I'm like, do I, am I knowingly doing this? I think there's, I think there's, um, I, you know, and I'm not, a psychiatrist or, or a therapist, but I think there's kind of the unconscious part where we tend to just do things that we know. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, you know, us intellectually knowing something is wrong mm -hmm. and the insanity of doing it anyway. And I, and, and I believe I was hurting inside. Of uh, course you are, yeah. And I didn't know how to express that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. I, I, and so I would show people how I'm hurting instead of I telling mean, them. Because I didn't have a language for it, right? I mean, you have had so much grief and loss. I mean, having parents go through cancer, each one simultaneously at different times, constantly coming back, that is... I can't even imagine as a child dealing with that. And I can't even imagine coping with that pain. And the, it's funny you say that. Um, I wasn't coping with it. Right. I was avoiding it professionally. <laughs> professionally, I gotta add. Yeah. Um, there's one really cool aspect of it is, is the tight bond that my brother, sister, and I have. Um, through all the hardship that we've been through, through all the loss, through all the grief, it, it's been great. It's been it's been tough. That's beautiful. But at, at this point in time, we've never stood stronger, and and that is that is something that I am grateful for. Mm -hmm. I am grateful for. I don't wish it on people, but I am grateful for it. So at this time, you're married. Are, is your son born yet? So yeah, um, six years. Uh, sober. My uh, my son was uh, six months old when I decided to pick back up, and um, and so I started drinking, and things functioned relatively uh, decent for approximately three years. Uh, there was problems, um, you know. At this point in time, I don't. I know my wife didn't want to be around the man that I've became, you know, and. Um, I know my kids tolerated me, but they were kids. They had very little choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the sad aspect. The, actually, the really sad aspect of it is they didn't have much of a choice in the matter. And I, I'm making the best choices I could. Um, but I did know better. Right. But and knowing that, better... It, it isn't believing any better. And, and that's the really hard part. And that's where I... I always ask about the conscious and subconscious aspect 
because I know better. Right. But, but it, I mean, can you explain kind of how addiction takes over and how, you know, we may want to stop, right? The idea may be I wake up this morning and say, hey, like, I'm not going to drink today. But then what happens? End up drinking. Yeah. And how many times do we say that? Well, right. And I would love it if you kind of tell people that how that is. Like, why do we do that? Mm. Do you know why we do that? No. Is it the subconscious? Is it is it just this genetic disease? Or is it... It's been explained so many different ways to Sunday. And I mean, the easiest way is what everyone always hears. It's the allergy, you know? And, yeah. And... Well, explain that for people who don't. Because I'm hoping there are people watching who you know, don't know some of the jargon we use mm -hmm. and want to understand what we're actually talking about because they can relate to you and they can understand that you were somewhere where they currently are, possibly. <clears throat> Let's, um, I'd like to put it in context, not just on alcohol or drugs, but more on a, uh, what are we going to use for relief from, from our daily grind, our daily everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't care if it's taking a bath or going shopping. We all find ways to, to get rid of um, or cope with, with things. We find enjoyment in life. We find hope. Mm -hmm. um, however, once we believe that, for me, once I believe that, okay, alcohol is the only thing that's going to give me relief, I am going to make sure that everything else that challenges that is outside of jurisdiction of being able to, to get get close to me and so it, it literally becomes its own animal mm -hmm. um, versus you know drinking too much sugar is bad for you you set the thing down you know a doctor says don't drink sugar anymore you're gonna have diabetes mm. okay yeah you set it down whole family doctors everyone's saying don't drink alcohol anymore your body's gonna fail you or in other words you fucked Mm -hmm. And what do you do? You keep drinking. Why? It's the the the, the cunning, baffling, powerful aspect yeah. of it. Yeah, you're having that allergic reaction to it, right? Precisely, precisely. And so, I mean, it's 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 so attached to you as a person that getting rid of it would be uh, the thought process for me was like. Okay, I'd rather you just cut off one of my arms. Because Isn't this, that incredible how powerful it is? It is. Because this is, this is literally get, letting me mentally get through the day. Physically, I could endure all the, all the pain in the world. Yeah. Don't care about that. Right. But psychologically, when I feel hopeless, that pain is so great. That emptiness inside is so great. Mm. And so I'm trying to fill that void continuously. It is a hopeless battle. But it gives me a moment of relief until it doesn't anymore. And that's beaten into a state of reasonableness. Many of us get there. Some of us don't. And that's, that's the sad fact of it. Until we're able to have some sort of a, for me, it's a God moment. To have some sort of a God moment where I'm not even making that choice anymore. Someone else made that choice for me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's the law. But I would always go until that point yeah. where someone else would make that choice. I finally got to that point where my body was failing me this past time. What did it look like? 
let's go back to what we were talking about is the marriage aspect. Mm-hmm. And my mind was failing me then. It was in a hopeless state. And I'm at the, in the point of tearing everything down. Finally, I did some unspeakable things and my wife came home and said, get out. And um, we were having difficulty before that, but I'm very proud of her for standing her ground on that. Yeah. And, um, but you can see that now at the time, I'm sure you didn't feel that way. At the time, I was understanding, but I was very scared and very alone. And I wanted any relief, whether it was codependency, um, alcohol, drugs, anything, geographic change. I was looking for any relief. Yeah. I love that you say that because, you know, it's hard to explain to people how sometimes we use the term alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And it means, you know, it means more than just alcohol. It means the codependency. It can mean shopping it can mean all these other things but any it's external this external validation any external validation thank you for for saying that because helping people understand that you know i i call myself an alcoholic and friends who know me will say i don't think you're an alcoholic i don't think that was your problem and i'm like uh you didn't know how much i was drinking but also they're like, no, I think you had a problem with drugs. And I'm like, oh, no, when I say alcoholic, I mean alcohol, drugs. I mean, you know, an eating disorder, all these other things that come up for me when I'm not in my best mind, mm -hmm. when I'm not being honest, when I'm not living and, my best life. And that therein lies the six-year stretch. And what really took me out was the unmanageable mind because right. I wasn't working anything, any any. I started believing in myself again. I believed in, you know... Rather um, than doing like a 12-step program, is that precisely. what you mean? Precisely. Okay. So instead of believing in something bigger than me, I'm believing in self. Mm. And it, it, it's been my, my nemesis because I'm such a strong-willed son of a gun. Right. And I will white-knuckle things for a very, very, very long time and show you on the outside how good and pretty everything really is. Right. But on the inside, I'm tore up. Um, so after that, after that adventure of, uh, uh, getting separated and, uh, it, it was, it was devastating. It was a devastating two years. And, uh, in the process, uh, in 2017, my mom got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer mm. and, um, I was sober for about a year then and I couldn't deal with that one. I was just like, I can't take it anymore. Well, because pancreatic cancer is the worst one, right? Death sentence. Yeah. And I couldn't take any more. So I'm like, all right. I go back out, come back in, go back out, come back in. And that's what's so awesome about our program. This is so welcoming. Yeah. And everyone just understood where I was coming from. Yeah. Uh, you're going through a lot of pain. How can we share your suffering? Going through a lot of pain. How can we share your suffering? And I'm asking for help, but I'm not willing to receive it at this point in time. I wasn't beaten into a state of reasonableness, as they always as they always talk about. And um, but I found my purpose. Found my purpose, and um, it was I, I get a DUI, my last DUI, and this time it's in a company vehicle, and they finally asked me to leave the, the company, and uh, rightfully so. Yeah. Rightfully so, and um, 
left they, their liability at that point. There were certain individuals that wanted me to come back. And so I, I did that and it was just, I'm locking horns with others and it's just not going to be healthy for the circumstance. I, mm. you know, yeah. I, I, and, uh, my mom at the time she was, uh, uh, battling cancer. And so I'm like, I think I found my purpose. That's the caretaker role. If you, if you remember, I spoke of that at five years old. Right. And um, so I've always played that, that role in some way, shape, or form until I can't. Mm. So finding that balance has always been difficult. So I'm, I'm now finding my role, caretaker role with my mom. Um, we're traveling the country, looking for cures, doing this, that, the other. Things That's are, so cool, though. Things are good. Uh, I'm mending relationships with my ex-wife, my stepson, my son. Things are going in, the, in a so proper direction. So there's no time for drinking or drugs or anything like that. Precisely, precisely. And I'm I'm, I'm being a good person. Um, there's still a pain inside me. I'm not a hundred percent what it is, mm -hmm. but life is going so good. I can't see any of that. I'm masking it with everything else. Right. And um, finally, get to the to the fateful day. My father he, he gets diagnosed with uh, cancer, pancreatic cancer in two thousand. December 2018, dies in February 2019. Wow. So just to clarify now, your mom and dad have been diagnosed with both with pancreatic cancer. Correct. And both have so much to live. Correct. Wow. That's, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, so my, my dad's uh, journey was quick. He passed away in February. And my mom, she... Uh, she finally passed in uh, June of 2019. Um, I was uh, I was sober, but I couldn't see why to be sober anymore. I lost all hope. Right. In a way, I made my parents my higher power. That was my purpose. And uh, when I lost that, I was uh, about six weeks after my mom passed, and I looked at my girlfriend at the time, and I said, get away, it's going to get ugly. And um, it got really ugly. Mm -hmm. It got really ugly. Um, I, I went to a lot of dark places, did a lot of really, really raunchy things. And, uh, anything you want to share? <laughs> well, I got to uh, put you on the spot a little bit. Yeah, go for it. Um, maybe one story grace us with. Hmm. There's so many. Let's just say there's a town that, um, they, uh, they came into my hotel room and found a bunch of uh, uh, illicit products, and uh, uh, it was during COVID, so they processed me in the back of the cruiser and uh, let me back in the room. There was still more product, and uh, so I continued doing what I'm doing, and a week later, they come back and find more, and this time, they escort me out of the town and say never to come back in that town ever again. Wow. So, I don't think they can do that, though, right? Um, so in hindsight, I think there was a larger picture because I was using so much. I believe there was another federal agency that was watching me. I see. And so I believe it wasn't just because of COVID that they didn't detain me. I think it was because they were watching something bigger than, than Right. That. I yeah. see. So, so you're part of a movie scene. I'm, I'm <laughs> part of a movie scene. At Which I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I shouldn't laugh. It's comical to us. It's, That's the it's thing I tell people. I'm like, when we, w once you've had a little recovery, if you don't look back and laugh at some of these crazy things, it will drive you crazy, right? Absolutely. 
Yeah, we Absolutely. have to find some humor in the madness. And, and it's devastating because, you know, I mean, as I speak this, you know, um, how do I explain this to, to loved ones? How do, how do I say to a loved one the, the, the depths of, of where I've been you right. know, without hurting them more? Yeah. And um, I, I say it with as much grace as I possibly can. Obviously, if I'm talking with another person that's struggling with the same thing, I'm, I'll get dark. I'll get dirty. Yeah. And we'll have a lot of laughs over it and a lot of tears. Right. And, and I think that's essentially how we connect because we both have commonalities in, in the bad stuff we've done mm-hmm. and also in the pain we felt. And then hopefully now in, in sobriety and the good we're doing. Absolutely. And that's the spiritual experience is becoming literally choosing to follow up. I mean, you're path. incredible. But that's for we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's go back. We're in the hotel room. <laughs> no, okay. I don't want to be there. Okay. <laughs> Those we're, bad times. We're outside of the hotel room, but but you're you're in a dark space. You've turned your girlfriend away. You've, um, you know, it's gotten bad. Yeah. You're asked to leave the town you grew up in. Or whatever town you're in. No, it was a different town, but yeah, same same difference. I mean, uh, at this point in time, the whole municipality is basically like, he's a problem child. Yeah. And um, uh, my family, my family, uh, after after about a year of me, you know, really going at it hard, my family's very concerned. I mean, they're they're coming over to my house just to make sure I'm breathing, and um, in I. Uh, nine out of ten times, I didn't even know they were there. Wow! And wow! So it was uh, it was ugly. My ex wife was concerned. My ex girlfriend was concerned. I mean, people are literally just trying to make sure I don't die. Well, yeah, because they love you, even though they may not be with you. They were extremely pissed at me. I'm sure. I understandably so. It's Very sadness ang- that turns yeah. into anger. Exactly. Exactly. And I, they, you know, one of the one of the um, really cool things that happened was. Um, despite everything, my, my, my good friend growing up, I've known him since kindergarten, he came over and, uh, and confronted me. Mm. And that one stands out a lot. That one stands out a lot. Took a lot of balls for him to do that. Yeah. We're in a screaming match in the driveway and I'm now, I'm at a point where I don't even scream. I'm just like, just so calm, so serene. I'm in the depths of my thing. I'm just waiting for life to seize as we know it. And for some reason, that that was enough to spark some sort of reason, reality back into my sense because I was so detached from it. What year is this? How old are you? This is 2019? 20. Okay. This one's 2020. We're getting close to the end here. So we're year 37-ish, 36? Yeah. 36, 7, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. So you have um, a lot of life left. Hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> we'll you see. do. Did a lot of damage, but we're getting there. Going to the gym now. <laughs> Listen, if my liver is okay, your liver is okay, for sure. It's my heart and stuff that okay. really took well, a lot of beating. Right. <laughs> uh, but I understand. Um, so my family has an intervention on me, and... Uh, and I, I, I mean, it was falling on deaf ears. You know, they flew a sober escort in. They're ready to take me away somewhere. And, uh, and, you know, I've talked to a few people. I have vague recollection of communicating with these individuals. Mm. 
anyway, uh, my family comes comes over. They try to read their letters, and I mean, they're falling on deaf ears, man. And it, it's yeah. it's sad how arrogant I am about it. It yeah. was insanely sad. I was just leave me alone. Let me let me just slip away in peace. You know, I don't want this world anymore. And uh, so I go back to doing me. They they have a, they they have people over there trying to talk me into stuff, and I'm just gaslighting the hell out of them. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, I'll be there when I get there, you know, things like that. And I had no intentions of going, but I had one guy that went to the um, treatment center that you and I went to, and um, and his name was Chuck, really cool dude. Mm-hmm. He was like 20 years plus sober, I believe. Um, and for some reason, I believed him out of everyone. Everyone else seemed like they were manipulating me, but for, for some reason, he seemed like a straight shooter. And I'm living on 14 acres at this time, and I'm like, let's go for a walk, dude. I was like, for some reason, I believe you. No one else. And we go, and I'm still doing my thing, and we have a reasonable conversation. I says, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, all I could tell you is it was the hardest, it was the best, hardest, best thing I've ever done in my life. Another thing that ma- that mounted up to the place where my best friend, growing up, one of my best friends growing up, communicating with me. My family, no inspiration. Mm. Didn't care to please them anymore. Mm-hmm. And this stranger Chuck, that's just straight shooter. And this is that transparent aspect of things. Mm. That vulnerable. He's just speaking emotion, like raw mm. vulnerability. He's not trying to con me or convince me. He's just telling me his experience. Yeah. And it's so lovely how that is. So he uh, he tells me that I still tell him all to piss off, and uh, uh, let's see, this is around Halloween 2020, and uh, December 15th ish uh, is when I when I wake up the one morning or come to or maybe it was the evening. Really don't know. Right, doesn't and, matter at that point. And I'm throwing a mahogany dresser in the wood burner, and. Uh, I got money to throw the lights on. I just don't have the wits to pay the bill online. I powers off, running the heat with the wood burner. And it's not that you couldn't afford it. It's that you didn't have the will to do it. My mind was so far gone, I couldn't right. even like sit on the phone long enough and do it. Well, because yeah. there's some people who have that financial constraint at the end who have spent all their money. And for you, it's actually just like you're spiritually and... Everything is gone, and you have Physically nothing left in you. Gone. Right. Right. Which, you know, both are terrible. Yeah. And I know your path of desperation is not too dissimilar. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, for me, it was, I, where am I going to pass out next? Right. And the type of stuff that I'm using, and you're not supposed to be sleeping on. <laughs> and so at some point, all the substances <laughs> and everything that worked, so great in the beginning stop working precisely yeah. and and you're just and that's when you really go insane where you're like what do i do now when everything stops working and you're like what do you mean yeah and that's where the gift of desperation yeah beaten into a state of reasonableness really comes into play mm-hmm. is that day i decided decided to face reality that day someone else, spiritually god whatever you believe in Something else told me I didn't want to die mm-hmm. and I need help. Yeah. Or I did deep down inside actually believe that. I'm not sure where it all comes from. Combination of everything. Some reason that day I decided to ask for it. Thank God. 
and was willing to receive it. And so, so you at this point um, are coming down to to Florida. That is, I I reached out to my family. They still had the uh, the intervention team lined up. It is still COVID, so um, the one guy from local wasn't able to do it because of health issues uh, amongst the family and mm-hmm. um, can't afford to get COVID. And uh, then the other uh, guy was coming from Detroit. So from Detroit to Cleveland, I'm staying. Uh, I had a friend from down the street come and pick me up. Uh, him and his brother were staying at uh, the old family house. Uh, we grew up together. It was really quite cool. You know, I felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. I felt safe mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time. And uh, unfortunately, one of those brothers didn't make it. He, uh, while I was in treatment, two months into my treatment, I found out he passed away of an overdose. He was sober at the time when I saw him, and uh, he didn't make it wow. through through his journey. And um, and it fueled, fueled my fire, my desire to to really be part of the part of the um, few percent that actually make it through. And I work really, really hard at that, you know. And uh, so, how does the recovery process look at this point? You're you're down here. You finally made the decision. Um, you know, you're feeling better, comfortable, ready. Mm. Ready yeah. is like. Like the gift of desperation and gift of willingness is like such a gift. Isn't it? Yeah, I don't even know how else to describe it. It's a blessing. It's a gift. It's, it's, it's one of those emotions that I wasn't familiar with. It's called relief, I found out. Oh, really? Yeah. I never yeah, knew that. Yeah, what is Still. that? <laughs> what? <laughs> Feels good? No, I can't so have much. that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was relief in pill form, you know, liquid form, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I thought. And, um, and and to feel that emotionally, altruistically was was very very welcoming. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, what does it look like? You know, getting you know, because where we went is is an interesting <laughs> place. You know, when I went through, they were really hard on us, yeah. which is what I needed. And you know, they didn't hug us back to health. But when you went through, they were a little softer, but still very hard, right? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I mean, I believe very strongly in the program that, that we went through. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a very big supporter, uh, proud alumni, and, uh, and, and I do everything I can. I still go back there a few days a week yeah. and support them. I, you're there, and you're amazing. Thank you. You as well. You oh, as well. Thanks. You knock it out of the park. We're going to join forces and just conquer it. I agree. <laughs> I'm very excited for that. Um. That all being said, uh, my, my, my experience there was amazing. I felt like incredibly safe there. Uh, the, only, the only time I actually wanted to leave there was when I didn't have enough nicotine. And uh, so I was about two weeks in and three weeks in, something like that. And I sat at the front steps and I'm like, I'm going to leave. Yeah, and, don't uh, take away my nicotine. I'm just sitting there with my arms crossed, sitting by the door. And everyone's walking by, Ryan, what's wrong? And at this point in time, everyone knows me as sunshine and butterflies because that's how I, I responded. <laughs> I'm like... I don't have enough cigarettes. Listen, you can't take away my alcohol, (laughs) my drugs, and my comfort zone, right? Right. And then say to me, I need to stop smoking. Like, I I have quit now. This is like years later. But at the time in treatment, I was like, this is all I have left. Like, what are you talking about? But it never occurred to me 
that I was supposed to ask for help to borrow a cigarette. Oh, uh, were you allowed to do that or something? I could just ask a friend if I could have a cigarette. All right. <laughs> so just another, another person that's going through the same thing as me. Yeah. Had I just said, hey, can I have a cigarette? Nine out of ten people are going to say, yeah, no problem. Right. Instead, I'm sitting in my so head. you're so self. So self-willed, so self-driven. So yeah. I can't ask for help. I, I'm incapable of asking for help. Mm. And so the, the, the profoundness of, of something as simple as needing a couple extra cigarettes or wanting a couple extra cigarettes is was monumental for me. Yeah. You know, learning how to ask for things in, in, in a civil diplomatic way. So learning to, learning to ask for help was, uh, was everything that I learned from, from the whole uh, aspect of not having enough cigarettes there. <laughs> um, but another major thing that I learned is uh, being a, being a um, caretaker uh, a lot of times we learn to impose our will on people even when they don't want it. And yeah. uh, another thing that I learned is actually at uh, equine therapy. And uh, someone was asked to, to uh, play a game with the horse, and that's to pretend like you're a predator, come up behind the horse and get it to move its feet, right? And um, this particular individual stood fully erect, walking straight up, not intimidating at all, and the horse would not move. Wow. And I go right up and the horse starts moving. This individual starts crying. And um, I, I did not know I did anything wrong. And um, What did you do? I'm confused. What I did was I went and helped when they didn't ask for help. And so the relatability aspect of that is um, many little kids, they, they take, uh, take a little kid and you're in a hurry and they have to tie their shoes and they take forever, they procrastinate, it's challenging and difficult and so on and so forth for them. So what do mom and dad do? Hurry up, get in the car. Yeah. I'll tie them. Tie your shoes. They walk over, tie your shoes, hurry up. No, uh, I can't believe it. Now we're running late because you didn't tie your shoes. So now the kid feels guilty. Now the kid feels shame. Now the, so now the feel, kid feels incapable. So it's on a subconscious level, I'm telling that individual that they're not capable of doing that. And mm. that's what I did to that individual with equine therapy. But you're trying to help. But I was trying to help. Yeah. That's so interesting. But I never asked them if they wanted help. So now one of the coolest things I get to do as a parent is, hey, would you like some help with that? And depending on the answer is how I get to respond. Yeah. Instead of just doing what I think is best. My, I mean, my two-year-old goddaughter thinks she knows how to do everything, right? And is so, like, bossy. And the other day I was over there and I said, want me to help you? No. I was like... That's so awesome. She has healthy boundaries. Yeah, right. She really does. It's so funny. And she really does. And, and her mom went through our program, too, and went through our treatment facility. And she really tries to now parent with everything she's learned, just like you're saying, like, hey, ask, I asked my son for help and mm. all that. And that is so cool. And this is how we pass it on. This is how we change the cycle, right? The like, generational rift? Yeah. Yeah. We, I speak about that a lot with a lot of the people I work with. Um, there's, a, there's a group of, of parents that are in recovery that I, that I uh, uh, connect with on a weekly basis. And it's, it's quite phenomenal because we focus on showing up safe showing up consistent 
it equals structure. Every yeah. individual desires structure, especially children. What I came to realize is how much of a child I was and how much lack of safety, lack of consistency I had in my life. Mm -hmm. And the treatment center I went to is exactly where I learned that. Is it amazing? And once I had enough of that for myself, then I was able to give it to others, specifically mm -hmm. my loved ones. Mm -hmm. And showing up safe, showing up consistent. Do I do it perfectly all the time? No. No, yeah. I fail miserably. Yeah. But at least I have a guideline to go by, a baseline of what I'm capable of doing. Right. Versus a wish that I want, that, I, that, that as many of us in, in active, whatever we are in, actively escaping re, uh, reality, you know, from, from money, gambling, sex, booze, drugs, women, whatever it might be. Um, it, you know, what we're escaping reality is, but we usually have all these wishes that we could do something better with our life. Yeah. And practicing being better at life is, is exactly what we're really doing here. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, rising above all these different things, all these ailments, learning how to communicate. Yeah. So how has your journey of recovery kind of looked mm. for the past couple of years? So the last three years has been nothing short of amazing. I, I, I'm not supposed to, no, no, I can't say that. I'm not in charge of that. I want to say I'm not supposed to be here right now. Um, I, I say that all the time. It, it, I, I don't say I'm not. I, I say I don't know how I'm still here. That would be more accurate. Yeah. That would be more accurate. That's why I, I truly, you know, people are so afraid of the word God or spirituality or whatever. And there was no doubt for me. Absolutely. When they told me you should believe in something bigger than yourself, it could be anything. I'm just it could like, be the ocean. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a religious figure or anything like that, because I'm not religious, mm -hmm. right? But it was so easy for me because I was like, "How have I not died? How have I not been like kidnapped or raped or trafficked or or all these things that could have happened to me?" You know? And so yes, I can believe that there's a force or something out there that's propelling, you know. And, and more importantly, the freedom that both of us experience is, is that of the, the prison of our own mind. Mm -hmm. um, it's gaining hope and, uh, you know, it's having those around us, the community around us that believes in us, has, that, that, that shows us hope when we don't have any left. Mm -hmm. And, and those, those events still happen for me. Mm -hmm. But I also have a community around me. When I can't find the hope, other people know how to show it to me. Because it's a very similar community where we've learned a common language of emotions, of, of, of pain, of suffering, of love, of joy, of excitement, of fears, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't even know that I was scared for, for my whole life. Like I, I've never really felt scared. I didn't acknowledge that emotion. At 37 years old, I realized I'm running around with that emotions wheel I talked about earlier, and I'm reading it, reading it. And I think I feel guilty. I think I feel something ashamed. Yeah, and I hear all these other people saying that, and I like run out to the picnic tables. is one of the most profound things, and I'm like, I'm scared. <laughs> and it was in this real creepy way, like I'm scared. <laughs> individual there is like, okay, they got now, now, you're like you. to, now you're starting to scare me, and I'm like. Yeah, but I'm scared. I never felt scared before in my life. This is amazing, you know? It's good to, or you didn't know how to identify. Exactly. 
Yeah. Exactly. So I've never been able to actually understand it until that day. It was, um, and from there, finding that emotional congruence has been so relieving, so relieving, so hopeful, and so on and so forth. I haven't stopped learning since. Right. Anytime I find any sort of a wall, that's when I find my counsel. Yeah. And I say, I'm at a wall. I need help, and I don't know what to do. And then I follow direction. That's so hard for so many people. It's Even... insanely difficult. <laughs> I still tell them to F off. Yeah. And then I say, okay, eventually. And sometimes right. it takes me weeks, but I still do it. Right. I mean, I say to the people that love me, I go, you know, I want the feedback, but I may react <laughs> at first. But just know that like two hours later I come to and, and, and my reaction, my first reaction is never the right one. Absolutely. Um, sometimes it can be, but mostly, you know, my first reaction is I want to bite your head off. And so in, in that experience, no, that experience alone is very common in our community. Yeah. Yet we still accept each other for that because we right. understand what we're going through. Because we, I started reading, uh, being able to read people and they started being able to read me, which is not the words that we say, but, but the blank spaces in between the words. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of people find spirituality, find God and so on and so forth. It's the emotion and how the words are said. And in the in the, the way the word is said, the way the the, the gaps between the words, and, yeah, and and so on and so forth. So we start to read each other. Mm -hmm. we, we start to uh, use the universal language of emotion, you know, and another universal universal language of spirituality, right. one one of a common goal, and and now we become become one. We become whole. The one yeah. thing that we've been that we've been plagued with our whole life is is self pity and resentment. And emptiness inside. And, and now so, we don't have to be that way anymore. And that's this journey in the last three years. Yeah, and listen, I mean, I say, like, I want to bite people's head off, but, like, most of the time, I, I'm not feeling that way, right? Most of the time, I'm spiritually happy. I'm, I'm, you know, helping others, going through life, going to work, doing my day. But something sometimes, you know, we're not perfect is what I, what I was trying to say. And, and that's, that's interesting you say that, though. Yeah. Because um, why, how we dwell on that one imperfection. Yeah. Versus the majority of the time being a pretty good person. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny. And, you know, just building on that. When I work with people and and we're going over like taking an inventory of your day, mm -hmm. right? Taking a look at your day, looking at where you've done things wrong, where you may have been better, where you may owe an apology, you know, all of these things that hold you accountable. I always, I've, I've added a question to it. You know, the program doesn't know that, but I added a question to it and I say, but also look at what you did right that day. Mm -hmm. Because we can't just gloss over the improvements we're making because they're so small sometimes. And like if you only see the, 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 the muck, right, and you don't see the good, you may not want to keep going. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to also like point out, what am I doing right today? You know, I'm doing some good things. I mean, I have to work on X, Y, Z, but I'm also, or and, I'm also working on X, Y, Z. Absolutely. 
And in, in the dialectical aspect of looking at, uh, yeah. you know, the the, po the extreme positive and extreme and extreme negative is is a lot of what we work on the yin, the yang, the up, the down. Right, living in the right, black, the living left, in the, the white, exactly. and then now we have to learn to like live in the gray zone. And I, There's going to be good and bad about our day, always. In what's our what's our general? For me, my general way of looking at things is the way that I previously did. Yeah. Um, and it's extremely important for me to stop and be able to reflect really quickly. And the more I practice, the more um, instinctive it is. And through our program, intuitively know how to handle certain situations, which used to baffle us, right? Absolutely. Problem is, is there's so many variables to each situation. I believe that I already know how to handle it. And then one little small variable goes into the situation. And I'm like, why can't I handle it? And right. I throw my little adult temper tantrum, and right, and, and or it doesn't I'll, go my way. Yeah, no, it, I want what I want when I want it, and what the heck. And then Obviously. all my peers around me are just sitting there, like, ah, right. you know, you're going through it right now, and I'm like, yeah, screw you guys. And then yeah, I'm like, <laughs> and then you can laugh. And then I laugh. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Versus an antagonistic way that would be unsupportive, mm -hmm. which is uh, in, in, in not that my family was uh, not supportive, but they're. they're we're good at we're we're good at antagonizing, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, listen. I always say, you know, your your family has installed the actual buttons, right? In, uh, for some reason, I'm okay with my my friends doing it, but when family does it, for some reason, I I feel like it's even deeper. Yeah. It's even deeper. So now, you know, you mentioned today you've learned how to ask for help. You've become more spiritual. Like, what else do you think? would be helpful for people to know that you're doing differently mm. than you than you were doing while you were in your darkness vulnerability vulnerability is everything to me uh, i have two golden rules honesty and transparency transparency is uh the vulnerable aspect mm. uh, while while i explored my journey of, uh, of recovery everything the key to everything has been being vulnerable mm -hmm. uh, that's on an emotional that's uh unselfish honest loving and pure in all aspects, um, it, it's not just accepting reality on a conscious level, it's also accepting reality on a subconscious level. Because mm -hmm. I can tell you that I'm okay with something and, and, and know that I believe that, but I won't actually, like on a subconscious level, believe it. I just want you to believe it. And so there's the superficial aspect of it. Of course, we're human beings. But for some reason, I'm super sensitive. And... Uh, in, in I'm very reactive, and so trying to learn to be responsive, and everything has has been everything, um, in 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 the functional aspect of life, uh, in the emotional aspect of life, being able to communicate that or emotional congruence has been everything, but operating off of a moral compass that I am that I'm capable of being a good human being, yeah, has been everything. And I've seen you in action. I mean, I have attended you know, some, some, some groups that you've run. And it's so incredible to watch you help others and really give others hope and, and be a power of example, mm. right? I think that's so cool that you can be a power of example to all these other men who essentially look up to you. That's, that's my biggest passion is, is uh, really dads in recovery. Yeah. Um, uh, many of us have have had um, immense amount of loss, mm -hmm. and with our loved ones, and uh, there's no warmer feeling. And I'm, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. There's no warmer feeling um, 
than 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 a dad rejoining forces with with their with their kids in whatever fashion that is. It's not, and that's that's just it. Is is opening the mind to being able to say that I'm not the dad I used to be. Yeah. Not the dad I thought I should be. But what I am now is a present dad and a good dad. I may never be a great dad, but I'm okay being a good dad instead of no dad at all. Well, I mean, I don't know. You're probably a little hard on yourself because I've seen you be a great dad. <laughs> but then again, that's my opinion. Thank you for that, and, too. And um, how old is your kid right now? He's nine. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's nine turning um, 30. <laughs> and my stepson's 16. Yeah, he's turning 40. My, sister, my, sister, my sister's 10 and my brother's 20. Not, not, not like a huge age difference, but it's like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like thinking of my dad right now as like you're talking about. What yeah. Know. Absolutely. But, and I just want to mention, uh, you know, I want to mention one more thing is that I, I've watched you help sons in recovery, like younger guys who are really 18, kind of fresh and mm -hmm. still very young. Um and I watch you help them as well, kind of being that, living that amends, being that dad for them that they probably didn't have and everything. So I, I want to tell you that it's so cool to watch you do that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Really, that, that doesn't mean a lot. Um, I mean, I, I watched it firsthand, so. You did get to join us last Tuesday. That was yeah. a lot of fun. I think you did. Tuesday or, thir or Thursday? That was Tuesday. Oh, no. For, okay. dads, for dads out there who are struggling to have a relationship with their children and themselves. Mm. Um, what have you found to be the best thing that you've started started with? Um, for me, it began in a, a uh, in a group that was uh, it was a parenting group, and there was another one being held that was called a parenting recovery group. Uh, f let's see. For me, I had to dive down to the to the uh, reality of, of who I was and, and no longer sit there and put on a facade that I believe that I'm a good dad. So I had to be honest with myself. That was that was really, really difficult. Um, I got to a point where I didn't want to be, I didn't want to let down anybody anymore. I was too terrified of, of hurting another individual anymore, uh, emotionally, in, in any way, shape or form. That, that had to do with my kids, my brother, my sister, you know, nieces, nephews, friends any family, so on and so forth. Um, it came down to the unmanageable aspect of my life. Um, How does your relationship look today with your, uh, your sisters, your sister and brother? My sister and brother's relationship is really amazing right now. Yeah, uh, my relationship with my son right now is amazing. You asked a question as far as being a, um, being a dad. I, th I think the hardest thing for me as a dad was to ask for help. And knowing where to ask for help, because I've I've asked a lot of places, some places I wasn't willing, um, and then I came up with most of it on my own, and thought that like that was my obligation to be able to come up with it on my own. Didn't know that I could actually ask for mentorship and being something that has no instruction manual, and uh, you know a little little fun joke. Isn't he great? <laughs> little little fun joke as far as parenting goes, you know, uh, toughest hood in the world, parenthood, you know what I mean? And uh, I know it's really cheesy. It's a really cheesy That's dad joke. That's a really dog. cheesy fucking dad. You're a dad, so you can say it. <laughs> <laughs> that joke is parenthood. But you, you, as, you as a son, 
you, you could gain an alternative perspective of what your father goes through, though. And one of the one of the most difficult things is to gather somebody else's perspective, especially when they won't let you know it. And uh, that vulnerability aspect for me to share with another man that I am not capable of being the father I want to be and I need help becoming that was everything to me. Um, thank you. Mm -hmm. Should we close it out and then do our hug and all that fun stuff that you love? Um, Should I be like, thank you for coming? Yeah, I mean... We can use all of this, I'm just... We're, you guys are at the part where like you're talking about how today looks. Just, you know, things today. Is there anything else that you want to share about what you do today that you're just really... Not only proud of, but like you weren't capable of doing before. But could never even see back then you doing today. One of the biggest things that I, I, I want everyone to know, uh, including myself, is I no longer have to work, walk this journey alone and neither does anybody else. So, Absolutely. And when, when loneliness is, is the plague that is, that is your, your cross to bear, then, then know that you don't have to carry that cross alone. That's, that's kind of what I believe right now. I believe that's my purpose, is to be a really good dad and let everyone know that they don't have to suffer alone in that aspect. Whatever that cross might be whatever weight they bear on their shoulders, whatever's heavy on their heart. Yeah. Love that. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Any more questions? No, I, I mean, I have no more questions. I just want to... Oh, well, I do actually. Sorry. I have the one question I ask everyone. Hmm. Is there anything you would say to your younger self? You can choose the age. <laughs> so tell us what age and what you would say. Still along the same lines of what I just said. Is you're not alone, buddy. As far as the age goes, it's multiple years. Yeah, I get that. And sometimes still today, just reminding ourselves we're not alone, right? Yeah. Uh, believing it. Knowing it's one thing, but actually believing it. It's okay to be scared. You don't have to put on a big smiley face for everybody. Totally. Totally. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. This is amazing. Well, we need you to, to really hang out with us more and share your wisdom because you also write so beautifully. You also... Um, I can't wait to see the quotes. It's, it's really cool. I mean, he read me something and I was like kind of mouth dropped. I, I wasn't expecting that because I've always looked at you as like this big, you know, tall, strong guy who's got it all together. And then all of a sudden this like emotional and sensitive person mm -hmm. is coming out. And it was really, I mean, it made me tear up, which yeah. I don't cry often. And I probably should. <laughs> and- um, We'll work on that together. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, just so you know, you are so talented. And so I hope you can 
join us somehow through crosstalk and and really and really share your wisdom with with people. Absolutely. As you're doing now, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I mean, it's uh, it's a real honor. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to navigating a, a few different ways, you know, um, like I always say, gaining alternative perspectives, so, you know, including, you know, my son. Yeah. And my ex-wife and my brother and my sister. I mean, they've all been um, a major uh, player in, in, in the journey called life. Yeah. My life, their life, and so on. And... Um, we all we all have a difficult time navigating it sometimes from time to time, and so I mean, if there's more, uh, if there's one thing that I've learned more than any is is finding the right support for ourselves, finding the right person that we can trust. It's everything. Yeah. So the more perspectives we gain, yeah, it's scary to trust somebody, but it is also necessary in order to find some more trust, and um, it, otherwise our world becomes very small. Hmm. So yeah, by all means, however we can navigate opening up some more, um, more hearts, uh, you know, giving a safe place for somebody to be. Yeah. That's uh, that's all that this is about, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you help a lot of people. You're an incredible person, and I really, I'm really, really thankful. Why don't we have a hug? Sounds really good. Look it out. <laughs> I love a good hug. Thank you, Irene. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yay. <laughs>